I have no remote clicker. It has gone missing, so I'll just have to push the button every now and again. But what we're dealing with in this particular section is prayer. And I know that each one of us uh, wants to have a deeper prayer life. And so before we get into our main section here, we're going to give you the opportunity to spend some time in prayer. It would be ironic if we had a seminar on prayer, but we didn't pray. <laughs> and so we want to give you an opportunity to just focus your thoughts on God. Um, I find it useful when I'm praying to, uh, to not just get into the rote prayers. You know, dear God, be with my family, be with my pet dog. Um, uh, I love you, Lord. Thanks for this, the weather. You know, those are, those are eight-year-old prayers. Uh, but we're still praying eight-year-old prayers when we're 18 and when we're 28 and, so, and 38. So we, we, we need to, to change our prayers to be more meaningful. So what I want to encourage you to do for the prayer time that I'm going to give you now is, is to take one thing that is on your heart, one particular area that's on your heart, and to pray about that one thing. And, and continue interceding with the Lord on that one thing until you find some resolution. Obviously, we don't have a lot of time, but uh, wherever you are right now, just take one thing on your heart. Now, I'll give you some examples. It could be a family member. It could be an area in your life that you're struggling with. It could be just praising God and, and just saying, I'm going to praise you, God, about things that you've done in my life. It could be about a decision you have to make. So whatever it is, I want you to take one thing and I want you to pray about that one thing before we begin our session on prayer. So um, kneel down, stand, raise your hands. Uh, don't jump up and down and start speaking in tongues. But <laughs> you, you can do, do how, the, how the Spirit leads you, um, as you as you pray to Him now. So take one thing and we're going to pray about that one thing for just a few minutes here. Lord, in this moment of worship, we come to you knowing that you are a God who can do all things. You've heard the prayer requests, the praises. Make those real. Enable change. Transform us. Because we believe that as we are in prayer and where two or three are gathered together, you are in their midst. We believe your presence is here. So, Father, we're, we're pleading for your presence to transform. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about how to pray with passion and power. And how many of you have discovered that your prayer lives are often not what they should be? If you have a perfect prayer life, then you probably should go to one of the other seminars. <laughs> because this is, for us, for those of us who are struggling with the fact that we struggle to pray with passion and power. And so I want to suggest to you that as we begin this, that you can't take a method, a strategy, and that's going to work in all situations. I, I can't give you, here's the formula. This is not Reader's Digest. Five ways to improve your prayer life. And you just do these five things, you'll have a great prayer life. It's much more like a relationship that it's going to take time, energy, effort. It's going to take a commitment, but the rewards are worth it. You, you follow what I'm saying? It's, it's not going to be a strategy. It's going to be spirituality, and that's what makes the difference. So we, we want to deal with some of the challenges of a prayer life and how we can 
we can change. And this is what I've heard from people. My prayers feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. I don't know if God hears them or if he even cares. Have, have you ever heard that said to you before? Um, I can seem to concentrate during prayer. As soon as I close my eyes, I start thinking of something else. I find myself saying the same things over and over every day. It's the same as yesterday, Lord. Uh, Lord, you know what I prayed about yesterday? Well, same kind of thing today. And I can see that with my kids. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, uh, my three-year-old. Okay, uh, would you like to pray? And Skylar says, yes, I'd like to pray. Dear God, please bless this food. Amen. I'm like, it's worship time. There is no food. Well, I guess there is food, but he doesn't understand that spiritual food. And so, you know, they just the same prayers. I remember listening to uh, Dick O'Phil and he was saying when he was younger, his little baby sister used to go, Dita Puta Pan for prayer. And like, what is that? Dear Jesus, please bless the food. Amen. And it came out to Dita Puta Pan because you just shorten it. Say it as quickly as you can. And so how are we going to move beyond these rote routine prayers and be able to go deeper with God? And I'm, I'm suggesting in this seminar that there are two missing ingredients. One, that we lack passion. And secondly, that we lack power. What is the difference between passion and power? Passion suggests what? Emotion, emotion yes. And many people have dry prayers that, you know, have no emotion. I remember uh, going to this one prayer meeting and they started praying and the first person uh, they prayed some long prayer, but it was our Father who dwells in the heavens. And then the next person next to them, they started praying, Our Father who dwells in the heavens and is, you know, over all the earth. And then the next person prayed, Our Father who dwells in the heavens and is over all the earth and is right here in this room. And then the next person added to it until they had these long, complicated prayers. And I'm just like, Lord, let it be over. That was my only prayer. Because the routine was killing my passion. I mean, these, these complicated ritualistic prayers was killing the passion. So passion has emotion. What about power? Should prayers have power? Did Jesus expect that there would be power attached to prayer? Yes, he did. He said when you pray, you can expect mountains to move. When you pray in answer to faith... Uh, incredible miracles will happen. Healings will take place. There was power connected with prayer. And today it seems that we lack both passion and power. It's the same old, same old. Say the whole prayer, none of this, etc., etc. You know, etc., etc. You know, be with all of them, etc., etc. And that's yet tends to be how our prayers are. So why have we lost our passion? Some things that you can think about. Are our prayers merely a wish list? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, dear God, could you take care of this? And by the way, I need good weather uh, because I'm going uh, water skiing tomorrow. So please, if you could provide good weather and just disrupt the farmers so that I can go water skiing. And then while you're at it, Lord, I really need an A in the test. And so I know I should have studied, but I believe you can override and make the exam exactly what I need it to be. And uh, just if you can give me that, Lord, that would be really good. And, um, you know, my girlfriend, she seems to not be doing everything that I'd like her to do. So if you could change her, that would be really wonderful. So we have these long wish lists, be with uncle so-and-so who has cancer and everything else. But it's a wish list of everything we would like God to do to make our world perfect. Or I'm going to suggest if you really want passion, does your prayer reveal a thirsty heart? Because as you go through the prayers in the Bible, you sense a thirstiness. 
uh, whether you're reading Daniel's prayer or Nehemiah's prayer or one of David's prayers or one of Jesus' prayers, you sense this deep thirstiness. God, I'm crying out to you. My soul longs after you. I, I, I'm broken, Lord. I, I can't sleep at night. You hear that deep inner thirst coming out. And when was the last time you prayed like that? It's because we're not we're not connected with our inner needs. So prayers are made passionless when we lose touch with our deepest needs and our desire for the heart of God. I'll never forget the day when prayer and passion combined together in my life. I was a typical college student. I didn't stay in contact with my parents very much because I was so busy having fun and, and studying hard and praying hard and everything else. And so uh, I called my mother eventually after two weeks and I say, hey, mom, how's it going? She said, well, since the last time we talked, I'm afraid your stepfather, who was at that stage an agnostic, he didn't really know if he believed in God, um, he, he has fallen sick. And she said, in the last week, in the last seven days, he has not been able to get out of bed. Um, I've had to bring, bring him something for him to be able to even go to the bathroom. He, he can't get out of bed to go to the bathroom. And I, I'm really worried. And I was like, oh, man, I should have been calling her. What, what was I thinking? So I, I was so worried that when I got off the phone and I realized he could die, and I, I went down to my room and I started to pray. And I've noticed something about prayer. C.S. Lewis brought it to my attention. Don't pray about the missionaries in Africa and, and uh, about random church offices and leaders if you have no connection with them. He was saying, pray about something that's on your heart and you'll find your prayers effective. And so with this in mind, I went down to my room and I just began to pour out my heart. And, and you try this. When you are speaking about something that's on your heart, you can pray for a long time. When there's something that's, that's a burning issue on your heart, you can pray for a while. So there I am. And I'm praying. I don't know how long it was for, maybe an hour. And eventually my roommate comes down and he, he kind of taps me on the shoulder. And I'm like, no, no, I'm praying. And he says, what's well, your mom on the phone? So I, I get up off my knees and I go to answer the phone. And her first question out of her mouth is, have you been praying? I'm like, uh, yes, why? She says, because Jono, that was my stepfather, as he was lying in the bed, remember he was agnostic, he suddenly says, I think Alan's praying for me. And then he, he felt a strength come back. And she says, it was unbelievable. For the first time in a week, he got up by himself and he went to the bathroom. And, and the sickness that he had, he was healed of. And he ended up becoming a Christian as a result of that experience. Now, now way, and for me, the power of that was I wasn't even thinking, you know, maybe I had too little faith. I wasn't thinking that God was going to heal him right there. I mean, I'd never experienced anything like that, so I, I didn't expect it. I was just pouring out my heart to God and the passion of pouring out my heart to God. I didn't have to think about what to say or how long I was going to pray. I just poured out my heart and God answered with power. And I recognized that prayer is powerful. Can you say amen? You know, God has an ability to step in and commune with us. And prayer can make a difference if it's not a wish list, not just simply going through all the people you have to pray for, but reveals the desire of a thirsty heart longing for God. Take a look at this. Testimonies, Volume 7, page 42. The idea that prayer is not essential is one of Satan's most successful devices to do what? Ruin souls. Prayer is, what is it? 
communion with God. That means it's a talking with God. It's a connecting with God. It's a conversation with God, who is the fountain of wisdom, the source of strength and peace and happiness. So when we pray, we connect with the fountain, the source, the peace, the happiness. We are connecting with all of those things. And so those who neglect to pray, guess what they're going to have? Instead of peace and strength and happiness, they're going to have sadness and weakness and distress. You follow me? Because only when we pray do we connect with a God who's able to make that work. By prayer, we're connecting with the God of the universe, the same power that created everything that exists. So when I pray, the same power that said, let there be light, that's the power I'm connecting with. When I pray, the same power that was able to step into somebody's life and Jesus was able to heal him, that's my intercessor that I'm connecting with. So when I pray, I have all of that power at my disposal. That's why, isn't it remarkable? Prayer is the key in the hand of faith, you know the quotation, to do what? To unlock. What does it mean to unlock heaven's storehouse? What does that mean? What does that phrase mean? You have access. It's kind of like when you pray, you are stepping into the, the whole storehouse of God. And he says, you, you've got a problem here? I've got an answer right here. I've got a whole storehouse. Which, which answer do you need? We often say, you know, there's three ways God can answer us. What, what do we say? Yes, no, and wait. You know, and, and those are cute little things. But I have a different way. When we pray, there are a thousand ways God can say yes. Amen. Now, it may not be the yes you were looking for. You're praying for Dear God, please give me that particular girl. And instead he's saying, you know what I think he's really praying? Because remember, the Holy Spirit has to translate our prayers. What he's really praying is give me the character that will attract that kind of girl. So what I'm going to do is send a few little difficulties his way to develop his character. So my answer is yes, but just not exactly the way you thought about it. And he takes you in to a store. Now, remember that if he's the God of the universe, if he can create everything, that that power that he has, he has the ability to change all kinds of circumstances. He has the ability to change your character. He has the ability to do all kinds of things. If you just step into a storehouse, that whole power of the universe, it's like an electrical plant, is waiting for you. You kind of step in, and it's like, wow, this is power. You know, but don't get a power rush, because the way he answers may be different from the way you expect. So yeah, look, the same power that healed the sick, brought hope to the hopeless, opened the eyes of the blind, that calmed the raging waves, and brought life from death. That's the power you're connecting with. So why wouldn't you pray? I mean, that is just phenomenal. Now notice why you need prayer. Without unceasing prayer and diligent watching, those two often go together in Scripture, prayer and watching, we are in danger of growing what? careless and of deviating from the right path. The adversary seeks continually to obstruct the way to the mercy seat because the devil knows when people pray, things happen. So he doesn't want that to happen. That we may not, by earnest supplication and faith, obtain grace and power to do what? Resist temptation. So a lot of people go, you know, I just can't overcome this kind of thing and it keeps beating me up. Look, I understand. I understand. But there is power. The problem is when you're, when, you're, when you're being tempted, you don't want the power. There is the power. All you have to do is pray. And when you pray, when you have a consistent prayer life, you have what? The power to resist temptation. But I know what happens in the middle of sin. I, I don't want to pray right now because what if you give me the power to overcome and then I won't have the sin? So I, I just I'll skip the prayer. 
See, so sometimes we don't even want the power, even though it's available to us. So here's what it does. If the devil can get us to not find our way to the mercy seat, if he can get us to not, by earnest supplication and of faith, obtain grace and power, he knows he can get us to fall. Now notice again, the darkness of the evil one neglects, encloses those who do what? Now what does the word neglect mean? It doesn't mean you actively don't do it. You just forget. You just kind of let it slip. You just like you let it go by the wayside. The whispered temptations of the enemy entice them to sin. Why? And it is all because they do not make use of the privileges that God has given them in the divine appointment of prayer. You want power? You want to be able to overcome sin? It's very clear, and we see it all through the Bible. We see it indicated here in Ellen White, that when you pray, you have power to overcome sin. Amen? Now, I'm not saying that, that here's a magic formula. You just pray and all temptation disappears. What I'm saying, you may have to really pray through some things. You may have to struggle, but that is that power is there. Pray a little. Is that what it says? No, pray much. Prayer is the life of the soul. Prayer is the, fa the prayer of faith is the, what is that? Weapon by which we may successfully resist every assault of the enemy. So when you're praying, you have a weapon in your hands by which you can resist the enemy. The devil comes, hey, what about having this, what about having this delicious chocolate cake with only 1,010 calories? Come on, chocolate cake. Ooh, look at how nice it tastes. And you just bring out your weapon. <laughs> Prayer. And you know, and you're able to pray. And the devil, he has to step back because you have the power now to overcome that temptation. So when we pray, we have a powerful weapon. Now, prayer not only is the life of the soul. Again, he has a, a, a similar statement. Prayer is the breath of the soul. So what do you, what do you uh, are you thinking about breathing right now? I remind myself, okay, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. Unless you're having a baby, then you may need to remind yourself. But otherwise, it's spontaneous. It's automatic. So when you are praying, it should become an automatic response to turn to God. Whoa. Not trip over the cord. So when you're praying, it's just an automatic response. It is a continual breathe in God's Spirit. In fact, Ellen White has this picture of an atmosphere that surrounds us. And as we, we're just surrounded by this atmosphere of grace as we're praying continually. Now notice it is the secret of spiritual power. No other means of grace can be substituted and the health of the soul be preserved. You don't breathe, what happens? You die. You don't have prayer, spiritual death. Prayer brings the heart into immediate contact with the wellspring of life and strengthens the sinew and muscle of the religious experience. Now, I'm going I'm to admit to you that as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, this was my weakest area. I knew how to study the Bible. I knew how to preach, but I didn't know how to pray. Okay, prayer was, was secondary. You, you can get by without praying and still be an Adventist minister. Isn't that, isn't that shocking? And, and yet, because you can, you can do all the right things and you can teach the right doctrines, you can even preach evangelistic series, but you can kind of skip prayer. And so it was weak. I, I couldn't pray for extended periods of time. And I tell you what makes the difference. And, and I pray that you don't have to learn this way. Crises. When you go through crises, suddenly your prayer life goes up. You know, I mean, that's why the most prayers are said during exam time. 
Because you go through a crisis and suddenly you discover your need of prayer. But we should be praying more constantly. It should be the life of the soul, the breath of the soul. Neglect the exercise of prayer or even notice this. Engage in prayer spasmodically. What does that mean? Sporadically, every now and again. Now and then it seems convenient and you lose your hold on God. The spiritual faculties lose their vitality. The religious experience lacks health and vigor. You want to know why spiritual experience is so poor? Because we don't know how to pray. Until we really get to grips with our lack of prayer, the Seventh-day Adventist church is never going to go to heaven. I mean, we're not going to finish this work. Because we don't know how to pray. You can preach evangelistic meetings till you're blue in the face. And you'll discover it's not going anywhere because we lack prayer. With prayer comes power. So what's the purpose of prayer? Is prayer simply a religious duty? Pray three times a day over your food no matter what. Uh, is prayer to touch the heart of God? I, I read a book on that called Prayer, Touching the Heart of God. I, do I have to change God's mind? If I just pray long enough and hard enough, God will change his mind and do what I want. You know, when, uh, when a person's sick, some people go, you know, we're not praying enough. Let's, let's pray four hours. Because maybe if we pray for more hours, maybe God will change his mind and heal this person. What, what kind of thinking is this? Um, do we pray so that God can answer our wishes and desires? Is prayer ultimately about God making us more comfortable? I, I still remember somebody telling me, um, I don't know why we had a flat tire on the way to school this morning because I prayed. You know, and if I prayed, it's supposed to be like magic. You know, if you pray, everything goes right. And so you, you still hear that, that sense of, I, I just have to pray and then everything will work out. I don't know why she said, no, I prayed. And then I asked her to God with me, and she still said, no, maybe she's not listening to God. So we, we get confused about what prayer is about. Now, notice uh, Christ Object Lessons, what prayer is about. Prayer is not to work any change in God. What is it for? To bring us into harmony with God. In prayer, we become recreated in God's image. And this is profound. You think about your prayer life. What do you often pray about? For things you need, for people who are sick, what else? For safety, right? Safe travels. For kids, yeah. Now notice all of these things are about trying to get God to do something for you. Now God wants us to bring our desires and our needs before Him, amen? But the real purpose of prayer is not so that God can do something for someone else, but so that God can change us. I, I, I've had the experience, and one day you probably will too, and some of you already have, where I've been in an argument with my wife. I mean a discussion. We never have arguments. But I've had a discussion with my wife, and as we're busy having this intense discussion, I will have a chance to, like, pray to God. You know, I, you know I, we'll have this moment of silence between us, and I'll pray, okay, God, what have I done wrong? And then he'll convict me. And I have to say those, those two terrible words. Sorry, I'm sorry. And as I, and as I, but I don't want to say it. And as I'm praying, God convicts me. He is doing what? He is changing me into his image. And so when you pray, prayer should not be God fix this person and fix that person. Ultimately, the purpose of prayer is, God, how can I be different so that I can do something in that person's life? To make a difference in that person's life. How can I be different? to be what you need me to be? How can we as a church be different? And you find a lot of prayers in the Bible are about living up to God's will, whether it's corporately or individually. 
So two things we want to look at, and we looked at the same with Bible study. Why do you pray? What's your motivation? And we dealt with that a little bit now. And then how do you pray? What's your method? Are you using effective methods? Now take a look at Jesus' motivation. Uh, there's three great prayers that we can look at that Jesus prayed. And I want you to think about what are in these prayers. So let's turn to the first one, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And take a look at the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it begins in verse uh, 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, Matthew 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, now I want you to tell me what's the focus of this prayer. I mean, you know the prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our, forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. By the way, Ellen White, for, at a certain stage in her life, prayed this prayer every day. The Lord's Prayer. What's the focus of that prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done. Keep us from temptation. In other words, help us not to slip away from doing what you want us to do. Um, even when it says, give us this day our daily bread, it's suggesting, God, we're dependent on you. We, we can't do anything without you. It's saying, I'm not going to do it on my own. You give me what I need. And so the focus is God and his will. Take a look at John chapter 17. And you can see, we wanna, that's a long prayer, so we don't have time to read uh, everything in that prayer. But if you look at John 17, sometimes called the high priestly prayer, uh, notice what Jesus says, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may do what? Glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh. And then notice uh, verse 3, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth. I know your translations may be a little different. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me as well. So he, he is pointing out the glory of God. And we don't have time to go through the whole section here. But if you read it, you can clearly see that the focus of this prayer is the glory of God. And of course, you know the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. What does he pray? Not my will, but yours be done. What was the focus of Jesus' prayer life? Was it a wish list? No, he, he certainly prayed. He presented his request. There was nothing wrong with that. But when Jesus prayed, the focus was he prayed for his Father's glory and his Father's will to be done. Now that's going to take a change in our prayer lives. When you start praying, God, how can I have your will done? Instead of the wish list, you start praying to be and not to get. You follow me? You start praying to be. God, how can your will be done in my life? How can glory be brought to you? How can I glorify your name? That's what was in Jesus' prayer. Now, I want to give you four elements. That was the motivation. I want to give you four elements of Jesus' prayer. And then... Um, we're going to, to have a chance to practice some of this right at the end. First element that we notice is address. Address. When we come to God, we address Him. Now, how did Jesus address, his, address God in prayer? Our Father. All right. We notice immediately that this is relational. 
It's not all about God and it's not all about me. Prayer is a relational element. And a, this father element introduces that relational section. We pray to Abba, which was daddy. Now, it wasn't just little kids that used this. Even adults used this for their parent. But it was an intimate yet respectful term. And it suggested we have a relationship. Now, this was radical. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees treated God's name as so holy, and the scribes, they treated it so holy they couldn't even write it out. So they had to use other words in the place of Yahweh. They couldn't say, say that, so they had to use other words. Now, here comes along Jesus, and he revolutionizes their prayer life. Because what does he do? Instead of, instead of these long words and instead of avoiding the use of God's name, he uses this intimate term, Daddy. What does daddy mean? Now, I know for some of us, the word daddy doesn't have the best connotations. But what should daddy mean? A loving father. A loving father. Yeah, somebody. Yeah, it's, it's, this is somebody I, I can respect. It should be anyway, and I know it's not for all of us because we live in a world of sin. Respect, trust, love, Intimacy. And Jesus brings all of this together, and he shows that prayer is relational. Prayer is about bringing us into a relationship with, with the Trinity. I, and I don't always like the word Trinity. I should say the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It brings us into a relationship with God. And they are all involved. Jesus is interceding. The Holy Spirit is interceding. The Father is willing to bestow his gifts. We have this beautiful intimacy as we, as we enter into prayer. So... Daddy, Daddy, I'm here and I want to glorify you. I want your name to be lifted up. Daddy, my heart is being poured out. You know what, what I'm broken about this week. I, I just share my heart with God because Ellen White says, prayer is speaking to God as to a, a friend. But notice it's not just to a friend. And this is, I, I can't fully put my mind around this, but God is both friend and Lord. So the two elements come together. When he's my friend, I just pour out my heart. God, you know that I've had a rough week this week, and I, I just pour out my heart as to a friend. But at the same time, as I enter into God's presence, he, he's my Lord, and, and he's lifted up, and I'm bowing down, and I'm worshiping him, and you know, I'm able to pour out my heart to him. The word daddy has both. You, you understand how we, how we do this? And so when we come to God, we should both have, have reverence and yet at the same time, a free conversational sharing. So that's how we address him. He's our father. And we come. And then the next element is we adore him. And again, you can see this in all of the prayers in Scripture. You notice Jesus said, hallowed be thy name. He's pointing out the adoration aspects. The Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So adoration is about giving God glory and praise. And if you want to change your prayer life, you can simply add in an adoration component. God, I'm just going to bow down before you and adore you. I'm going to, I'm going to mention all of the great things that you've done. And, and you're the ruler of the universe. And, and I like to put pictures in my head when I pray because otherwise I tend to get distracted. Um, so what kind of pictures can you imagine about God? Any of you creative here? What are pictures that you can put in your head when you start to adore God? Give me some pictures. God in His mercy seat, yeah. And, the, and there's angels there, and, and it's kind of like He's got a, a huge big fire hose of mercy. I mean, I, this is what makes it come alive for me. And he's just, He just opens the tap and the mercy waters start coming down and flowing over me. Give me some other pictures. Uh, 
Yes. God taking a little child by the hand and just showing them all the universe. Excellent. So it's so kind of picking you up. And you can start seeing the universe. His hand is in your hand. And he's showing you, over here, can you see my child? Look at, look at these universe here. And you're, you're taking a walk with God in your prayer life. Give me something else. That communion, and you imagine you joined them, extra third party, but they love it. You know, so you, you're taking what, can you begin to see the pictures, you begin to feel God's presence in that moment. Any, any other ones? Creating, creation of God, just the whole creation. I imagine God, you're creating things, and, he, and light comes forth. And I say, God, I need that light in my life. And then after light comes the waters, and I just feel those waters flowing over me. And then after the waters comes the creation of the earth, and I just imagine things blooming where my life is like a desert. I imagine things coming up. Because as I think the pictures, the emotions tend to follow, and suddenly my prayer has passion. Yes. Somebody, somebody who can intently listen. Yes. That's powerful. That you, you're sitting on his lap. And I'm having to repeat it for the sake of the audio verse here. But you're sitting on his lap. He's looking at your face. He's intently watching. He, he cares about your heart. Have you ever had somebody who cares so deeply that they, they look at you and you can tell they've read your heart? They care about what's on your heart. And, and you just start crying. You don't even know why. Because you just sense that here is somebody who cares that deeply. Yes. Yeah, and, and until I became a father, I didn't really understand that until I found myself spontaneously singing over my child. Uh, because you just sense that joy over your love for the child. And, and to have God do that for us is just a powerful picture. So this is adoration. Yes? Um, sometimes it brings me to, you know, as a side of you, the picture of he's crying in the Gethsemane because a mother, when she sat things in your kids, but, you know, he cries so hard. He died for us, but right that he's suffering, he's at least, if you can take this cup from me. So I see him Begging for me mm -hmm. and my so, so there in the Garden of Gethsemane, you, you see that same pouring out his heart, you, that supplication and, and crying tears like blood. You see that as how he feels your pain and, and how he, he feels what happens with a mother, what happens with a child. He experiences it. And what's happening here is we are experiencing God's heart so that in turn we can become more like him. When he weeps over the loss we should have that same experience because we've, we've experienced the heart of God. And prayer is changing us into the heart of God. God. So it's about, adoration is about giving God glory and praise, but also experiencing who He is. Then, of course, there's asking. Um, and, and that's the part that we already know, so I'm not going to spend too much on it. We know how to ask. You know, we, we, that's the part we do the best. So, so we, we come to Him, and it's appropriate to have a time to ask and present our needs. And if you go through the Lord's Prayer, you go through other prayers in the Bible, they always have that element, but it's within the context of adoration. 
And then this last part is advocate because the power of Christ is available for us through faith. He is our intercessor in the heavenly sanctuary. And there's these beautiful pictures of Christ stretching down his hand to touch our humanity and with his other hand touching God's divinity. Have you ever read those pictures in, in uh, Desire of Ages and other places? And so what you have is that he's got the power to bring divinity and humanity together. So when you, are, when you are praying this last section, you enter into the heavenly sanctuary and you start praying, God, I believe, I believe that Jesus is standing at your right hand, O oh Father, and that he is interceding for me. Oh, Jesus, please touch me with, with, with divinity. Help my humanity to be lost in your divinity. Help me to see myself in your place. Oh, please take my place for me. We start seeing that Jesus is our intercessor. And you, you can pray it in different ways, but you... You recognize God's power. You claim God's power in your life through Jesus Christ. And you're able to plead for others. You're able to plead that and, and plead that the Holy Spirit will work on others' behalf. But Jesus is your advocate. And so you always end with Jesus. Because how are you going to end your prayer? In Jesus' name. And so praying in Jesus' name means that you are praying that Jesus will make that prayer powerful and effective. Not yourself. Not how hard you pray but that Jesus will make it powerful and effective. So some things that we find in Ellen White that I'm just going to make mention of. How should we pray? Prayer should be speaking to God as to a friend. Uh, we also see that she says to pray in secret, that there is power in secret prayer. If most of your prayer is only corporately, you're missing out. She says to pray without ceasing. Now, how can you pray without ceasing? I mean, I, you can't pray literally all the time if you're a man because we cannot even do one thing at a time. <laughs> so how, how, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Yes. It's always, um, you know, you don't need to kneel in physical stir, but always talking with God is yes. kind of begging, you know, should, what meaning you, God, do you want me to go, for example? It should be a natural talking to God, a natural response. Now, other people think this is a little crazy because they see you muttering to yourself. But, but you're surrounded with that atmosphere of prayer. You don't have to kneel down. You can be driving. You can be talking. You can be walking. While I'm giving a Bible study, I'm praying to God. He's constantly there. That's the sense. God's constant presence around you. Yes. Yeah, he walked with God. It, it doesn't mean that he didn't do anything else. I love the picture that uh, we turn to God as the sunflower turns towards the sun. That's just our constant orientation. Uh, when I was uh, in Zimbabwe, I, had, uh, I was traveling with uh, my senior pastor, Pastor Mavuti, and he was... Uh, and he and I were, were traveling together, and, and suddenly the car broke down. So immediately I jumped out, and I started trying to work on the engine. And I noticed he wasn't helping me. So I came around and said, aren't you going to help me? He says, I don't know anything about fixing cars. What I know to do is how to pray. And I noticed the difference between our response. He prayed, and I was trying to work. And I felt, I felt rebuked by that because I realized I should have been praying first. Sure, you've got to do your part, but your first response should be prayer. And that's what it means, this unbroken communion with God, praying without ceasing. Pray with thanksgiving. Every prayer should be offered with thanksgiving. And we certainly see that 
in Scripture, particularly for, first, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, uh, that we should present our prayers with thanksgiving. We should pray with faith, believing that it's not our power, it's not our strategies, but it is Jesus Christ who is able to make a difference. And we should be praying for God's will to be done. So each one of these is mentioned as how we should pray. So when I, I, I think about how I'm going to recognize, okay, I've got to pray I've got to have secret prayer. I've got to be speaking to God. I've got to make it part of my overall life. But I need to make sure that I pray with thanksgiving, with faith, that I'm praying for God's will to be done. And that's why I said our prayer life doesn't often incorporate these three elements right here. And uh, sometimes God isn't going to answer just the way you expect. Uh, every day there's a suggestion in Steps of Christ. We should have this daily prayer. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. Let your prayer be. Notice what the prayer is. Take me, O Lord, as what? Holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me and let all my work be wrought in thee. What this prayer is, is it says, I'm going to give you everything, Lord, everything in my life. You know, I kind of feel like as Christians, we don't mean what we say. When we say all to Jesus I surrender, we, we should change those words to what we really mean. One-tenth to Jesus I surrender. <laughs> One-tenth to Him I freely give. Is that how we, I mean, are we serious about giving God everything? Does everything you have belong to Him? Do all your plans belong to Him? So it's a daily matter. You've got to surrender your plans to be carried out or given up, as His providence shall indicate. And thus, day by day, you may be giving your life into the hands of God. That is what will change your prayer life. Then there are some things we should pray for. And I'm not going to suggest you take this all down if you're taking notes. But just look at the kinds of things that she mentions we should pray for. God's promises. We can pray for necessities. We can pray for God's mission in the church. The Holy Spirit. Wisdom and understanding. God's will and purpose to be done. We should pray for an understanding of the times. We should pray that we should consider how our characters need to change. We should be confessing. We should consider the needs of others. And as I look at this list, I guess she's just saying pray about everything. Just pray about everything. You can pray about everything. God has something for you to pray for. So most of us, our challenge is, I don't know what to pray for. You know, I prayed for, for Uncle Tom already five times. What else do I pray for? And, and, he's, and he has the thing. You have so much to pray for. You should be able to spend hours in prayer. But we don't because we don't understand that prayer is about everything in our lives. Now, there are some conditions for prayer to be powerful. And this is taken from the book Steps to Christ. I'm just going to give you some of the conditions. Number one, the heart has to be open to the Spirit's influence. Have you ever tried to pray when your heart was closed? Not very effective, was it? <laughs> he opened it. So then your prayer, so your first prayer needs to be, God, open my heart. My heart is closed. I'm angry. I'm resentful right now. Open my heart. And that becomes your prayer. So you, but you better stop at that point before you go on. Absolutely. Secondly, if we cling to any known sin, the Lord will not hear us. Now that was tough for me. I'm like, Lord, I got a whole bunch of sins. Does that mean you're not hearing me? But I realized that what it means is this. That when we cling to a sin, we are effectively breaking communication with God. So what I have to do, again, I have to take it to God. God, I don't want to let go of this thing. Help me. And as I surrender it, as I, as I let it go, then my prayer life starts to change because that's been a block. The same thing happens in my relationship with my wife. 
you know, if um, let's say there's something I'm holding on my heart. I, uh, she's asked me to do something and I haven't done it. Then every time I talk with her, it's just hanging in the air. Any of you had this with one of your friends? There's just that uncomfortable thing you haven't talked about. It's hanging there and it's, it's just uncomfortable. What are you going to do about it? You're going to say, why won't you talk to me? What are you going to do? No, you're going to deal with the issue. You're going to say it's not the other person's fault. You're just going to deal with the issue and give up whatever that thing is between you and God. Another element of prevailing prayer is faith. So if, if you want to have your prayer answered, you do have to believe that God can answer that prayer. Amen? You know, God, if you can, it would be nice if you could uh, help me with my anger problem. If you can. That's not going to be an answered prayer. You have to believe that he can. It's, she says we must come to God feeling helpless and dependent. So those who are arrogant, you know, I, I, get, I cringe when I hear people uh, praying these impressive prayers. Like they think God is impressed by their eloquence. You know, um, when they start praying, you know, Oh God, you who are the ruler of the universe. Oh God, you who do contain the atoms and are able to change things from, from one condition to another. You who have physics under your control and you can deal with quarks and with atoms. Oh God. I, I'm like, is he impressed by that? You know, what, it, it, does, it, does he go, oh, wow, you, that's really impressive. I better answer that prayer. No, you come to him going, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm helpless, I'm dependent. God, just help me. Uh, there's, there's a great book by O'Hallisby where he says, you know, the more helpless you are, the stronger your faith. Thank you. And that's what, what makes it different because you're dependent on God. It's not dependent on yourself. I, I also love the, the illustration by Tony Campolo who, who says, uh, just imagine you're, uh, you're a teenage son coming to your dad and saying, um, Oh, dad, you who does supply my every need, <laughs> you who does give me my pocket money in due season, I beg thee, I pray thee, lend me the car. Why would your dad not be impressed with that? He's like, where did you get King James version-y on me? <laughs> you know, you got to... <laughs> If you want the car, we're going to talk about it. And that's what God wants us to be, that kind of relationship with the Father. We're helpless, we're dependent, He's not impressed with our words. Some other things. We sh yes? I, I would say there's two parts to that. When you, when you bring up a remembrance of something in Thanksgiving that He's done, not only is it like praise to God, but it's also remembrance to yourself of His power in your prayer. Yeah, that's a good thing. To, to praise God for something He's done helps to remind you that you didn't do it. And, and that puts you in the right frame of, re of reference. Uh, we should have a spirit of love and forgiveness in our hearts. And so it's not that, again, that God can hear you if you don't have love and forgiveness, but you better deal with that first before you go on with your prayer and say, God, you know, right now I don't have a spirit of love and forgiveness in my, in my heart. And then this one was interesting to me. There's a necessity for diligence in prayer. And I thought, well, why does God need me to keep saying it over and over? I mean, God, why do you need me to keep going back to you again and again to ask for the same things? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. Why do I have to persevere in prayer? Didn't you hear me the first time? And then God kind of whispers back, yes, the problem is you weren't listening. See, perseverance in prayer is not to change God's mind. It's to change my heart. 
And the more I learn to pray, the more I learn to depend that, that the answer that's coming is not dependent on me, it's dependent on God. Don't be like the guy who was driving around looking for a parking by the bank. And he said, all right, dear God, I, you know, I, I know I haven't been to church recently, but I really need a parking right outside the, the bank here. So if you can give me a parking outside the bank, I promise I'll be back in church. And what do you know? A parking opens up and he says, don't worry, Lord, I found one. <laughs> You can't, you, can't, you can't go to God with just these quick prayers. He wants you to really wrestle with him so that you understand your own heart. And that's why we need diligence in prayer. And then she says we must not neglect against secret prayer because that's where God reveals our heart to us in a way that he can't do corporately. And so all of these change us in such a way that we are prepared for God's answer. When God says wait, it's because we are not ready. Uh, I, I like this little quotation, Lord, it's prayer time. If you have anything to say to me, make it quick because it's also bedtime. <laughs> Why are our prayers ineffective? Because of how and where we choose to pray. Can we, can we be honest here now? The reason why we don't pray effectively is because we have not created space in the best part of our, time, best part of our day for God to speak to us. And so if we really want to hear God, we have to make it at a time when we're most awake. It should be our most important appointment of the day. So I want to end here by asking you to spend the next five minutes praying that God will reveal His will to you. Praying that you will change. Praying that you will become all you need to be as a result of WYC this weekend. Just five minutes Spend time in prayer. Cut out those other things. And instead of, instead of going, you know, God, make it quick because I've got to get out of here to my next seminar, I want you to just surrender your heart to Him and make sure that prayer becomes a priority. Let's pray. Find a place and you've got five minutes. Pour out your hearts. If you can't make five minutes, I'll be praying for you. Father, I know we need to bring an end to this prayer time, but I pray that it will be the beginning of a journey of prayer. Too many of us have neglected to talk to you. So God, become real to us. I pray that, that even though we're taking baby steps at time in our prayer life, that you can change us, you will change us. And help us to unlock that huge storehouse of your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.